get this right. Okay. Um, sorry, yes, please go. I'm sorry. There is, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. Quite excited. Okay. So when, we, when we're looking at this, um, this is really just an introduction into disciples and the different elements of uh, what they were doing, um, how they followed Jesus, what they learned from Jesus, uh, and just why this whole thing is important, why discipleship is important. Um, and one thing that's really struck me about this is uh, my concern is that uh, we need to be on spiritually maturing all the time. Um, and my concern has been, as I probably expressed to some degree already, uh, is that we, we sometimes get distracted from that and we plateau. Uh, I've read many books about how churches plateau, how they, how they have a massive acceleration and then plateau, that is to level out. Uh, and here's what we need to do, we need to avoid plateauing, we need to avoid leveling out, um, because actually there is no end to learning from Jesus. There is no end to learning from his word and why we should be um, effective disciples for him. So when we look at the disciples, what we know, for those who have read this, we know that they followed Jesus and were fully devoted to him. They, despite all their shortcomings, despite all their failures, uh, they followed him, but even more so, he allows them to follow him. Uh, remember, this is Jesus, this is God on earth. He allows sinful people to follow him. This is a powerful message. They were prepared as they learned to obey his commands. And that was imperfectly. They, they didn't always do it right. But they had the desire to do it. They wanted to learn more about it. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to know who he was. And so they were being trained in how to be disciples, how to be disciple makers. As we move to Acts, they move from just, just disciples into discipleship or disciple makers. Powerful message, and I'll get on to where that comes on to uh, in our reading. But every believer, and that is those that have repented, that have given their lives to Jesus, are disciples. Uh, just to give you a, a, a demarcation, uh, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus. I want to make that clear. Uh, disciple means a student, someone who follows. Uh, and if you don't follow Jesus, you're not a disciple. Uh, I've seen many things where people argue the point that actually everyone's a disciple and it can't be, everyone cannot be a disciple of Jesus, especially if they don't believe in him. So There's a very clear demarcation. When you become a follower, you become a disciple. And as a disciple, we then mature as a disciple. So Jesus took his disciples then on a journey that changed them from ordinary people into kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused people. And so effective that, that we have this um, scripture in Acts, it's Acts 17, verse 6. It says, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city official, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Are you a troublemaker? Because this is what this is asking for. Now, that's not a troublemaker in that you disrupt the world and just be a protester or whatever. 
This is a, a, a troublemaker for, for Jesus. Someone who disrupts so that the truth can be heard. And in fact, when we read through this verse in uh, Acts 17, um, what you find is they actually get away, they escape when they try to find them. When they try to find Paul, uh, he escapes. And so actually he's not there just to cause trouble for the sake of it, he's there to cause trouble for Jesus. He's there to bring truth. And I love the ESV, I haven't got it up here, but the ESV version says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Turn the world upside down. So Jesus' earthly ministry takes us from baptism all the way to his ascension to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission uh, and says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He trusts them, he gives them, he spends three years with these guys and he says, you're now ready Go and make disciples. You are now disciples who must go and make disciples. And so the time had come for the disciples to repeat the process with others. And this great commission was given in Galilee and repeated at the ascension. It marks the conclusion of the disciples' journey with Jesus. So when we look at the beginning of this journey, we find that the point of origin along the banks of the Jordan uh, in in Judea, uh, wilderness, where John was baptising, Uh, And following Jesus' baptism, Jesus led to the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan. Mark 1, verse 12 to 13 says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Jesus then appears again at Jordan, is declared by John to be the Lamb of God, takes away sin. The next day, uh, John saw Jesus, uh, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what does John do? What John does is then he guides his followers to follow Jesus. One of those disciples was Andrew, who in turn found his older brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. I've got this one. Yes, telling him, says Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. This pattern of new disciples bringing their family and friends to Jesus is the first template of what Jesus was laying down for us to do today with our friends and families. That idea that he invites one person and that person goes and invites another person. But not only inviting, but starting to actually bring them in as followers of Jesus. That is to teach. That is to help them along the process of believing of of being an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And so Jesus then extends the invitation. John 1, uh, verse 43, says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me, he says. 
The thing is, we don't know what it is about these men that Jesus uh, picked on, that he found about them that said, these guys have something. It's never said. It's never mentioned. There's nothing in particular about them where Jesus mentions or the, the, the Bible mentions uh, there was something about them. But maybe that is something we can learn from. That the fact there is no earthly measure for us to be in Jesus. And often with many things in the world, we often have to qualify for something to have something. And yet Jesus says here, I'm going to take these reckless guys and I'm going to say to you, follow me. Isn't that awesome? These guys, and maybe there's a bit of dramatization. If you've seen any of the movies of this, uh, when he goes to find Peter, when Peter's, uh, when they're fishing in the boat and things like that, and the attitude is almost like, why would I, why are you asking, why are you bothering me? And I don't know, that's for sure, that's a bit of a dramatization in the movie. But this idea that he would go to guys that, that probably just wasn't sure, why, why am I doing this? Why am I on this earth? And maybe they didn't know at the time they were asking them that question. But uh, John MacArthur, there's a quote here for John MacArthur, and he says about these disciples, they were not outstanding uh, because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, they are all too prone to mistakes, misstatements, uh, wrong attitudes, lapse of faith and bitter failure. And yet Jesus still says, follow me. And it wasn't that they brought into their relationship with Christ that empowered them to become leaders of the early church. It was the time with Jesus that made all the difference. They didn't bring anything to the party that would have made Jesus better. They didn't bring anything that would have made Jesus' ministry better. Jesus was already perfect and he could have done everything. Remember, this is God on earth. And instead he says, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. And through Jesus, they all grew to spiritual maturity. And so when we do this uh, series, this is really about identifying that new, existing, whatever you want to call yourself, Christians, we, we need discipleship. We need to be discipled. Without discipleship, Christians are left to, to discover their own path. And I think today, that's the worst possible route any Christian can take. There are far too many things available to early Christians, and new Christians rather, that may take them off the path. Without any guiding or teaching, they may believe in things that are incorrect but presented as correct. And even more so today, we need to be there to bring good teaching to people, whether that's our friends and our family, people we meet, correction to people that we meet. We need to be bold to make sure the truth is true. Today we do have uh, Christians creating their own path, their own version of a personal God that serves them when they need it. We have that today. I've seen it. We have a versions or versions of Christianity where people are creating a personal God for themselves. Why would a God do this if he loves me so much? 
The moment we don't understand what God's love is, we go down the path of human love and we mix the two together. Why would he hurt me if he's such a loving God? So we create our own versions, the nice fluffy God. A God that is so easily rejected when life doesn't go our way, their way, whoever. We can easily push aside this God, in quotes, when life is not going the way we want it to go. And that happens today. People lose faith very quickly when the foundations are not put in place. And we as churches, all churches, are committing an act of abandonment. And we fail to grow and mature Christians to be healthy, mature followers of Jesus. We abandon people to their own devices. And if there's no foundation, they will go down the wrong path. If we are not guiding Christians, people who have come to faith, especially new Christians, we are leaving them and abandoning them. We need to be concerned with more than the number of people who make decisions of faith to follow Jesus. Believers are not intentionally discipled, then we will remain spiritually vulnerable. We will be unable to feed ourselves or discern truth from error. This is how important this is. This is why we need a year to get through this stuff. We'll be susceptible to Satan's traps and unable to effectively share the gospel with others. And when I mean effectively, I mean if we're not being discipled and we go and share the gospel or a version of it, I don't know what that means when you go and meet God. I don't know what that means when I go and meet God. And if I'm not being discipled, if I'm not getting leaders to speak into my life about what I'm doing, and I give a version of the gospel that's not correct, that fits my idea of the gospel, Jesus will say, I didn't know you. So how did the disciples become such passionate witnesses for Christ? How did Jesus do it? What was his roadmap? And did he leave us a plan that we can follow? I've already given it away. Yes, he left us a plan. The calendar was there. It's, it's all going to be there. There is a plan. So Jesus started with people who were conscious or unconsciously searching for spiritual truth. Uh, that is the disciples. Those before they were disciples, uh, we would probably say mostly that those guys that he called to follow him in some form or another had some thing within them that was, what's this life about? Whether they knew it or not. As for us as Christians today, we might recognize this when a friend engages in God-related conversations. And these moments help us to discern which people we might put energy and time into. Remember, discipleship, or discipling a person, another Christian, is putting time into someone, putting energy into someone. And I can tell you from my own experience that there are times it's failed. There are times when I look back and I think, I, I, have, I have maybe wasted a whole year on somebody. Because they were never really interested they, they said all the right words, they did all the right things, but actually, I wasn't discerning enough. I didn't, I didn't tempt them to come and learn more about Jesus. Instead, I, I went too much over the other way and, and tried to compensate for their lack of um, believing, their lack of 
um, enthusiasm. Two Timothy two, uh, verse one to two says, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others." Paul exhorted Timothy to invest his time helping spiritually interested people grow deeper in their faith. It's purposeful. He identified Timothy. He said, Timothy, you go and do the same. Paul gave Timothy the task of passing on the gospel truths he learned from Paul to people faithful to the things of God. So the first step to become an effective disciple-maker It's to begin with people who demonstrate evidence that God is at work in their lives. Remember, this is why I said there's a clear demarcation between those that are disciples and those that are not. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a disciple. That's a different conversation to have with a person. That's not a discipling relationship. That's your witnessing. That's your outreach. That's your front lines. Different conversation. And so it's not to say that we only focus on these types of people, new Christians, people that have just given their lives. But we do need to discern how, when, how and when to spend and invest our energy and time in, in a discipling context. Who will you disciple? Who will you choose based on the evidence from them of their life to pour your energy into them? And this is important because we need to carefully consider the outcome of our disciple-making efforts. And it must be more than just helping them to know Christian doctrine and attend church regularly. That is kind of what we're doing today, as in the world today, in church today. It can't just stop at learning doctrine and attending church. In fact, this place must be a place you come, be taught, be equipped, be released to go and be disciples for Jesus. And most churches would be thrilled to see people come, speak some verses, speak some doctrine, attend church. But it stops far too short of maturity in Christ. If Christians know doctrine, attend church and give regularly, but do not share their faith, the progress of the gospel will decline. You remember that chart I showed you? I think most of you were in that room. The decline of the church. Do you know why that is? It's not because of the way, the format we do church. It's because we're not being effective as disciple makers. It's because we're not getting out there and finding people who may believe in God and yet have no one to ask the questions to. No one to disciple them. And so we're actually losing people from the church. It's declining because people are walking away. They get that high of knowing Jesus, knowing who God is, and then they're left to their own devices. That cannot carry on. The Great Commission was given to all believers, not just apostles, pastors, and teachers. And it should be our goal, each of us, to help Christians become mature in Christ. Our mission should be to replicate. Our mission should be to teach so that those that believe in Christ will mature in Christ and become disciples and also disciple makers. 
How do you think this church has been around for so long? When you read the history of this church, you see the power that people went, they came, they stayed, and they went on mission, and then they came back, and then they went on mission again. There's discipleship in that. That's what they're doing. That's why this church has been here for so long. And today, as we get more closer to these modern times, it's tailing off. But before we all rush out and start picking someone to go and tell about Jesus and start telling them how to live their life, we need to be aware that spiritual maturity will not happen all at once. It's a long process. It's an investment in somebody. It won't happen over a brief period of time. And even the disciples took time to mature, more time than we normally realise from the way we've learned about the events in the life of Christ. Um, If you read it chronologically, if you have a real idea of how long Jesus spent on earth and then therefore how long he's with his disciples over three years, and read the Gospels in that context, you get a real idea of just how much energy he poured into his disciples. When you read the, the time of the, uh, uh, the month and the year that it was that you might have done something and being around his disciples, then you start getting this idea of just how much he's investing in these guys that fell asleep when he was praying to his father. And yet he still comes back and he still wants them and he still wants to teach them. The reality of the disciples is that their spiritual growth was slow Many setbacks, many failures, and many disappointments. Even happened in Acts later on, uh, that actually there were many moments where they kind of fell over a little bit, where they, they lost what they were doing. They went back to old ways. They hung on to what, was, what they thought would look good. There are times in Acts, you think of Barnabas, you think of how he behaved towards the end when we read about Barnabas. He's sitting with his church that have come to see him. He doesn't want to sit with the other people, the Gentiles, because that would look bad. Paul tells him off, rebukes him. Many failures. Uh, There's a book called The Training of the Twelve, uh, and it's by A.B. Bruce. Uh, That bracket is not a sad face, it's just been left there, so don't ignore that, please. (laughs) Uh, There's three phases that they go through. Firstly, they believe in his person, that is in Jesus. Second, they become full-time followers of Jesus. Then thirdly, they become apostles entrusted with the spread of his message. And this really demonstrates that the suppers begin at a slow pace, pace, which accelerates only when disciple when the disciple is living the truth that he or she professes. It's a slow process. But best to do it slow than not at all. Best to take your time than do nothing. <clears throat> Paul reproduced himself in several men. Let's assume that these three guys, uh, for a minute, that he was investing in these three guys, Timothy, Titus, and Epaphras. Right, okay. Three people. Let's assume for a second that's what he was doing, uh, that these were the three people he chose. We, we get the idea he mainly, mainly focused on these three people. 
uh, there's this idea uh, called um, evangelism adding and evangelism multiplication. This is evangelism multiplication. As Paul poured himself into these three men, they in turn were to pour themselves into faithful men who would pour themselves into others. And so what we see taking place is multiplication. Always three. There is a chart that I haven't got which shows the exponential rate between adding people and multiplication. I haven't got that, but let me explain it. So if each of these men worked with three faithful men who taught three others, we've gone from one man to 27 men in all within four generations. Within four generations, we've gone to 27 people. With the evangelistic adding approach, if Paul taught all 27 men himself, this would be an example of addition. He'd be adding each man he taught to the combined total of those he had already taught. He can't do that effectively. No person can teach 27 people effectively. And so what we have is either we keep trying to add to the church through the one person that stands at the front, or each of us go out and be disciples for Jesus and speak to another person and disciple another person. And the rate is alarming. I mean, in a good way. Like when you get past four years of doing the multiplication method of discipleship, you're already about a thousand ahead of adding. And the method of just having one person speak to 27, 40, 50, 60 people is that that does plateau. Because eventually it gets less and less effective. What's more effective is that one person speaking to three people. And then one of those people speaks to another three people. See how more effective it is. That's why church isn't about, this is where it all happens. It should happen every day of the week. Church is there to equip to be a place where we can serve discipleship. But it's not the be-all and end-all of discipleship. Every day is how we live for Jesus, not just on Sundays. Paul taught men who taught other men who taught other men. In that way, Paul could effectively multiply the impact of his ministry many times over. Many times over. And you might get an idea that if you carried on this chart, this would go on and on and on and on. It's a powerful method. And so in the same way as the disciples spent more time with Jesus, he gave them an increased level of responsibility. Same as our model there. They took on greater initiative and eventually were commissioned as his envoys, the commissioning of the twelve. So for us to understand the impact and the power and the sacrifice, for a year in discipleship, we're going to have, to, we're going to have one verse that we're going to, that's going to anchor us. Now, you might think that's Matthew 28, verse 19. It's not. For me, there are certain times when you need to use a different verse that really shows the impact of what a disciple really has to do. This is in Mark 8, 34 to 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. bit more intense than Matthew 28, verse 19, isn't it? And there's no discredit to that verse. But here is what he's calling them to do. He says, will you lose your life for me? Will you go and disciple, as I've discipled you, and go and disciple another person, and go and teach them about the ways of Jesus? And we know that they called this the way. It was called the way. And are we willing to sacrifice to this level to bring people to Jesus? The comfort in losing our life is that we will go and join Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. That's fantastic. That's good news. It means we cannot lose our life for eternity. We'll lose our life on earth, but we will get our life because we're doing it through Jesus. We will have a life in the kingdom. That should inspire us to go and be disciples. And so over the next 12 months, we'll unpack this all. And we'll unpack every element of what it means to be a disciple. And some things will be hard to understand. Some things will be difficult to accept. But it's important. Because I believe this church is called to be a discipling church. I believe it's called to be a powerful witness in this area, not just to tell people that God loves them, but actually to tell people he has a life and a plan for them. He has a mission for them, a different life from the one they're living. Uh, I'm going to pray and then... We're going to go through, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just say a benediction at the end. Um, and you might, you might wonder why I kind of went with this. Um, when we say things at the end of services, um, my concern is that we, we get wrapped up in saying the same thing until it, it, its effectiveness is gone, until it's watered down to nothing. So what I felt God tell me was, Take charge. Take charge of what I want to say so that you can tell the people. And so I thought from now on what we do is we'll, we'll have a different benediction. That is to say to speak well. If you don't know what benediction means, it's to speak well or to bless each other. And in the Old, Test- in the Old, Te- the Old Testament, benedictions were used at the tabernacle, at the temple, in homes, their patriarchs would bless their families as they went out each day. And so the first one is a priestly blessing. And so we'll just go through these and just, just be blessed by it. And I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, and it goes like this. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Father, we thank you for being with us in this place right now to teach us, to get us ready for the journey of being a disciple, to prepare us for what it really means to lay down our lives for Jesus, to be on mission for you, Father. 
So Lord, we ask as we uh, bless each other here today, Father, that you go with us into our homes, workplaces, everyday places we might go to, Father, and be with us. And Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us a word to direct us in what to say. And Lord, guide us in those people that we need to pour our time into and our energy into. Father, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen.